Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford. Joining me once again today is our editor, George Pepper, and we're happy to have him again. George, today we're, we hinted to a conversation that we were going to have um, in our piece about Jack and Tiger, but we're going to do a little bit of preview. Lynx readers will see this in the summer issue of our magazine, but George has, has already gotten his copy done and it's it's a topical piece because we're talking about kind of how things have changed um, around the game of golf and and why that may not be such a bad thing. Uh, so George has uh, developed kind of his his list of elements that that maybe you should think about in a positive light in the game of golf. George, did I kind of encapsulate what you were we're thinking yeah. at this piece. Yeah, pretty much, Al. I mean, golf, like every other aspect of life, has been forced to make some changes recently, become a little bit smaller, a bit more compartmentalized, a little bit uh, slower, uh, more, more spartan and simple. And uh, I think that's uh, that's not all bad. And uh, Yeah, I just, it, it occurred to me, there's so many things that you can say that they don't exist anymore or they're sort of severely curtailed. I mean, beginning beginning with a look at the golf course, uh, there's, there's no clutter out there. Uh, the courses are suddenly bereft of ball washers and bag stands and benches and beverage stations and all that other uh, stuff that seems to line the fairways. We don't have a lot of that superfluous signage, a lot of advertising. And so all that meets our eyes these days is that big, beautiful ballpark we get to play in, and and that's a good thing. Another thing, there's no crowding anymore because of social distancing. Um, Courses have been instructed to increase the tee time intervals. And if you know anything about about pace of play in golf, the number one in causing slow play is uh, courses that uh, maintain tee time intervals that are too short, that get people out on the golf course too fast, too quickly. What that uh, creates is kind of an accordion effect. Uh, when, like as you get in those unexplainable traffic jams and suddenly everybody slows that down for no perceivable uh, reason. And then it spreads out again, like just an accordion. And that's what happens on a golf course very often. And if, if you have a tee time of 12 to 15 minutes, which is what we're getting now, uh, that just doesn't happen. And uh, everybody enjoys a faster, more enjoyable pace of play. So a third no, and this one's controversial, uh, and I'd be, I'm on record on this one, no caddies. Uh, many golfers for the first time are actually navigating the golf course without this human crutch, which I, I think in many instances is their caddies are great and they're fun. And I think young kids should have the opportunity to make some money for school and whatever. But very often they're superfluous, uh, particularly on your own course. You know the golf course, you know the yardage, you know the, the, the read of the greens as well as a 16-year-old kid. So now we're many of us are having to select our own clubs for approach shots and read our own greens. And I am hearing a lot of people joyously discovering that they have some golf chops that they didn't know they had. And along with that, there's no loafing or at least less of it. Uh, A lot of people, at least initially when the virus began, carts weren't allowed. And um, people were forced to get out there with a bag on their back or 
pushing their own uh, golf cart. And uh, many of them are in better shape than they have been in years. So that's a good thing, too. Um, no frills. Uh, in some of these high-end golf courses, can you imagine people are now having to get by without valet parking and lobster rolls and margaritas at the turn? Can you imagine? No haircuts in the locker room from the resident barber. I mean, what's left? Can, can you imagine? What are we left with? Well, we're left with the, the simple joys of fresh air, companionship, exercise, and hitting a little white ball. Can you imagine? And that I, yeah, it all sounds so simple. <laughs> well, so the hitting the white ball part isn't simple, <laughs> but there is a joy in it. Um, no, what I would call augustification, uh, this horrible influence that the Masters has had on so many golf courses to the, uh, the quixotic uh, quest for lush green grass. Courses, many of them have had to slash uh, costs by, by cutting back on a lot of the uh, less necessary aspects of maintenance, notably watering. I would say overwatering in quest of this lush greenness. So, so I think what we have in instances is uh, you think faster fairways, links like golf. What's that? Well, it's more economical, it's more ecological, it's more sustainable. All very good things. Uh, on my list of things, uh, number six was no pros. Social distancing has put a damper on private instruction. And I think the happy effect of that on a player's psyche is less paralysis from analysis. And again, more self-reliance. Uh, some golfers have gone to books and magazines and the Internet for their instruction. Others have simply figured out things for themselves. And when, you bring, when, you, when you can figure out things for yourself, you derive a sort of satisfaction that, that no lesson from someone else can deliver. I have nothing against the good folks from the PGA of America. Uh, but I think this has been a good respite from one-on-one uh, -on -one instruction. Uh, number seven, no bunker rakes. This will be controversial for sure, but <clears throat> lest we forget, bunkers are meant to cause trepidation and difficulty, not offer pristine, perfect lies. Uh, Pine Valley, of course, that for decades led the list of the 100 great greatest courses in the world has never had bunker eggs. Um, untended bunkers breed better bunker players, or at least better bunker avoiders. And uh, when we smooth over the sand with our feet, as you should do, I think you become a more responsible golf citizen. It teaches us all to be a little bit more courteous to the, our fellow players, the uh, people playing in back of us. So that's a good thing. Easier uh, said than done, avoiding bunkers, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, again, I, if you have a little a kind of a crummy lie, if you have enough crummy lies, you'll figure out how to get out of them. And you'll become a, a, a better shot maker. Um, one of my favorites is no touching the flagstick. And if there is one positive outcome to be derived from this pandemic, it will be, I think, the revelation that... Golf is a better game when we all keep our mitts off the flagstick. There is absolutely no reason to touch the flagstick. It should be welded to the bottom of the cup, in my view. Uh, why? Well, for one thing, play moves along more quickly. when We aren't going through this idiotic ballet. Do you want the flag in or out? Oh, where do I put it? Let me put it over here. Oh, oh, you want it back in? Fine, I'll put it in for you. Okay, oh, you want it out. Okay, lay it down over there. Okay, now we're done. Somebody go get the flag and put it back in. 
it, it's this has been uh, tested, and you, you save uh, I don't know 15, 20 seconds a hole, and that adds up to several minutes in a round of golf. And as I say, it's all absolutely unnecessary. And um, when I was with Golf Magazine, we did an article with Dave Pels. We asked him to test this, and he went out and with a machine and with the professional golfer uh, Tom Jenkins. And they hit thousands of golf balls against flagsticks. Flagsticks that leaned forward, backwards to each side, flagsticks of all kind. And when he came back, the result wasn't close. It was a 34% advantage if you left the flagstick in. You have a 34% better chance of sinking the shot if you leave the flagstick in. Now, I, I will hasten to add that with all these crazy gadgets they now have raising the cups and um, making it uh, uh, so you don't touch anything, uh, there have been some problems with that. I've seen more than one ball bounce out. And, and at Games Hall, we do have a little local uh, rule that it, if it hits the uh, flagstick and the cup and bounces out, I mean, our cup is about uh, half inch below the surface now. If, if you see that in the um, force McGreeves, that uh, that was a bad break, the putt is good. Yeah. But once those silly things go away, there that won't be part of the argument. Yeah. Right. There may not be pool noodles in cups forever, yeah, exactly. uh, causing a, a sponge and bouncing effect from the cup. I found it. Uh, gimmies are a little easier to come by nowadays as well. I found. Yeah, there's a sympathy thing going on. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. which is good for me. When you get seventy year old nerves, uh, you need all <laughs> you can get. Uh, number nine on my list is no cacophony. Now, with only sixteen to twenty people sitting out on the course each hour, and with everybody keeping their distance, there is naturally less chatter. There's less these bellowed booyahs and high-fiving and dances around the green. And I think most people uh, have noticed there is just more serenity in the game than there used to be now. Younger players kind of like the boombox atmosphere, and I don't... um, I may disagree with that, but I, I understand it. I think it's it's not better or worse; it's just different golf. And but to me, I, I, golf was meant to be played in this serene atmosphere, and I, I kind of like the return to it. Uh, however, temporarily, let's hope temporarily it may be. And the last thing is uh, really a topic close to my heart: no foot dragging. People are are getting around quickly again. The routine is similar at most courses. You arrive 15 minutes before your tee time. You play with dispatch, and usually now you go home or you have a socially distant lunch somewhere. Uh, but to me, it's a return to the game's humble beginnings, the way it was meant to be in Scotland when they began. You know, those, those old boys, they, they'd come to the club, they'd hang their hat on a hook, they'd go hit the ball, and they'd go back to the club, put their hat on, and walk home. And there's a certain lovely simplicity to all that so you know less is more we're playing a game that's simpler faster purer uh, more welcoming and, and more affordable than at any time really i think in certainly this generation possibly our lives um, you know these golf courses that were a lot of them were viewed as bastions of elitism suddenly have taken on the role of safe sanctuaries and uh you know places people can go for uh sort of a, a safe recreation. So it's really no, no, no wonder that um, 
the game is attracting adherence these days faster than it ever had. New people are coming to this game. Wow, I can do this. I can have a good time outside safely. And so ironically, this awful virus, which has brought so much sickness and sadness, has done something that none of the industry's grow the game initiatives has been able to do. It's made golf just a little bit more fun and a little bit healthier. So everybody get out there. If you're not out there already, go out and have some fun and uh, play the golf, play golf the way it was, uh, was meant to be played. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. And, and I, you know, I get a lot of golf news releases and, and different facts and figures about the game. And I got one recently about the, this kind of renaissance of golf in the culture right now. It's because of all these, these things you're mentioning and the individuality of the game and the, the ability to kind of, you know, have it not really be altered from a play standpoint too much by restrictions. Um, you're seeing a lot of clubs that are getting, a very much increased interest in the game and, and a lot of traffic coming back out. This one release I'm looking at talks about how Big Cedar Lodge is experiencing, you know, in May 2020, they're up almost 75% mm. for bookings from what they saw the entire month of March so far. And then if you look back a year, some of these clubs, let's see... Talisker Club in Park City, Utah, although it's a private course, in the first seven days of their 2020 golf season, they exceeded the number of rounds played the entire month of May from 2019. Wow. You know what else is cool is that uh, I think it's reading more um, family golf. Because after all, you can't risk playing with strangers (laughs) to a great degree. You don't know what you're going to catch from them. You you can go out with your wife. You can share a cart with her. Or you can take your kids up because, you know, they need a place to go out and play, too. And, well, let's go try that par three golf course down the road. So it's, uh, I think it's been great. I mean, the one area that is has been sort of strange is professional golf. I don't know how anybody else felt, but I thought that uh, thing at uh, Seminole left me totally cold. But, but I, golf without fans, televised golf without fans is just, geez, it's just empty to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this thing isn't solved by uh, the fall, I kind of hope they don't have a Ryder Cup. I don't know how you feel about that, but I can't imagine a Ryder Cup where there are six people around the green and the putt goes in and it's like, okay, (laughs) instead of a huge roar. I hope the PGA and the European Tour resist the the temptation to grab the money and television money and and make a show and just do what the RNA did and put it off for a year. Um, Well, ideally, I hope that there will be a gallery for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, that, you know, that style, the head-to-head aspect of, of that tournament, I think really suffers from not having a crowd and reactions. And um, there's just so much more, I think probably adrenaline pumping through players' veins, you know, especially guys that are playing against a home crowd and trying to, to shut them up. Uh, so you get the really big reactions. The yeah, reactions. So much more importance to every shot and every moment. And, uh, mm-hmm. 
I don't think that they will feel it. I don't think that the uh, players will feel the pressure to any degree the same as, uh, as, as when the fans are there. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the decision is, and let's hope that they don't have to make that decision. Yeah, it'd be a shame, you know, mm-hmm. to not have fans. But I'm not saying I wouldn't still watch, because I absolutely would still be watching. Yeah, I'll watch, but yeah, I, I just won't listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the craziest thing you can have somebody the the Masters field is set right November I think they got like ninety eighty ninety nine mm-hmm. the heck it is so that's the that's the twenty twenty Masters so no one else can qualify so strangely someone could win the PGA Championship someone could win the U.S. Open someone could be Player of the Year and not qualify for the Masters being played in November. It will be interesting. I can't yeah. help but think that the powers that be at Augusta would, would make an allowance, but they never have. After the Masters field is closed, they have never made a special exemption. Yeah. They've never had this happen either. So it's just kind of the other interesting thing is, is this year we could have or within the next uh, X number of months back-to-back winners of major championships, and they would both be Masters. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, but I can understand, you know, you look back and here's who was supposed to play in the 2019 tournament. If you have those accomplishments and you talk about somebody who's winning a PGA championship who wasn't previously qualified, they, they're they still getting their, their due the next year like they normally would. They would it, qualify it, for the 2021 match. Correct. Well, yeah, it, it would be, it would certainly be a talking point. Yeah. Um, at the 2020 edition of the match. It's a no-win situation for the Augusta folks. They'll be damned if they let them in and damned if they don't. So, But the chances that, that someone not already exempt for the 2020 Masters would win the Open of the PGA, it's relatively slim. I can't wait for that to happen, too, so we can have that conversation. Right. Uh, I wanted to, to ask, looking back at your list, obviously there's some things, you know, people could agree with i'm sure there's a lot of people and and there's a a justification to keep caddies that's i'm sure that would be a point of contention you know a lot of people make their living that way so you know some people like them some people don't that's fine the crowding when you're talking about the the intervals the 12 to 15 minutes uh off the tee i'm curious if you know why when you said a lot of clubs normally use like a nine minute interval is that just to maximize the number of rounds that you can get on the t-sheet per day or what's the, well, sure. you know, the science uh, behind yeah. that? in an ideal world we'd all play lickety split and tear off at five minute intervals and you'd get i don't know what the numbers with five minute intervals what's that uh, 12 that's 48 people or an hour uh, you tee off people for 10 hours, that's 480 people around uh, the golf course. And if you double that to 10-minute intervals, you uh, get uh, 240 people an hour. I think I did that math right. And anyway, you, you, the income goes down. But every golf course has a different ideal time interval. I, there's a guy named Bill Yates who sadly passed away a year or so ago, a couple of years ago. And he uh, was the head of something called pace ratings, pace manager systems. And he did a huge amount of study on this and um, determined that the number one factor in improving the place of play, pace of play at a golf course is setting the proper time interval. And, uh, you know, the fact is, if you 
can get people around more quickly with, with the larger intervals, you can actually tee off people a little bit later. And for the sake of the course managers, pick up some income later in the day. So it's a, it's a smart policy now. 12 to 15 minutes, nobody really does that. But around 10 minutes uh, is pretty good. Yeah, I can uh, I can appreciate not having to, to wait on someone ahead of me or, or feel like I'm being rushed from someone behind me, too. That's right. Can always send like a bad feeling up my spine. Well, the worst feeling to me is, is, is holding someone up. I just I, I, I lose my game when I, I know that people are back in the fairway waiting for my group to get off the green. It just drives me crazy. Much worse, where as as impatient as I am, I'm ten times more bothered by holding someone up than being held up. Oh yeah, yeah, I can agree with you there. And how about this? So right now, when I played recently this past week i don't know how you feel about this but in terms of the no rakes in the bunkers and using your feet to to brush the sand over we've been playing a rule where if you do end up in a footprint we're we're letting that slide and you can kind of move it to the side so you don't have to play out of it are you are you going to be strict on that no playing out of or you have to play out of your your footprint as the ball well, I never hit him, so that's a tough question for me. <laughs> I think that's probably the right thing. Yeah, until and unless we all convert to the Pine Valley mentality, uh, a certain amount of uh, forbearance and reasonableness probably uh, should pr- prevail. I think, you know, there's re- yes, as, as courses get busier late in the day, you're going to run into that um, if people aren't being good about smoothing it over. But uh, most, if not most, courses do uh, do a sweep of the bump bunkers either with a machine or people raking it uh, late in the day or early in the morning. So at least uh, the, the, the first several groups are not going to encounter that, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's a practical matter. Let yeah. reason prevail. That's interesting. I didn't know that about Pine Valley. So. Well, I mean, what do they do on a normal basis? I think they, you know, do periodic. I don't know whether it's daily or periodic maintenance. So, they, you know, but uh, if the bunkers get look as if horses have been running through through them at the end of the day, so be it. It's the nature of a hazard to uh, impede your ability to make par. And then the last last point I wanted to touch on was, you know, it's one of the first things i remember when i started with links hearing from you was we played over at long go on hilton head and uh one of the first things or quotes i remember you saying was the flagstick should be welded to the bottom of the cup in your opinion and that's always stuck with me so it it has been i've kind of enjoyed not having to to worry about what someone wants to do in or out or or what i takes this whole thing uh, you know, you're on the green. I'm not on the green. I'm five, I'm 15 feet away from the hole, but I'm off the green, so I can hit with the flagstick in. And you know, you're 60 feet away. You have to have it out, or at least tend it. That's kind of silly, isn't it? Uh, and you can just everybody, whoever's farthest away, it's your turn. Go. That's out of there. I mean, I could uh, bore you for hours with how how silly I think this thing is. There's no tradition. I I actually talk to the USGA about this and there has been no consistent rule on flag sticks um, it, it's changed half a dozen times it, it, way back the rule was the flag stick had to be pulled out of the hole no matter where you were if you hit the flag stick whether it was from the green from the fringe from a bunker or from a babbling brook 
if your ball hit the flag stick and went in, you were penalized two shots. Can you imagine that? Wow. Yeah. No. And at the time, we, you had to leave it in. Uh, for a few years back in the I don't know, 60s, 70s, maybe in the 80s, you could leave the flag in with no penalty. And they've changed it three or four different times. So there's no tradition about it. I think, again, let's, let's use some common sense. Let's move the game along. Um, and let's stop all of this pretentious ballet of in and out with a flag stick, weld it to the hole, and nobody touch it. Now it's healthier, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember playing as a junior, too, thinking about where you needed to, once you took the flag stick out, where you needed to drop it to make sure that no one's putt would hit it so that exactly. then you wouldn't get penalized right. for leaving the flag and having someone hit it exactly. their shot. I was like... Is this something that's totally unnecessary? Exactly. Yeah. The flag stick was meant as as a directional marker, and only that. It should just be regarded that way. Well, it'll make for an interesting read in our summer issue of Lynx Magazine. Once that comes out, it's been had to push it back a little bit. Obviously, you know things are different around here, but uh, once that comes out, it'll be great. Uh, and. And come back and reference this podcast if you'd like to to get more detail behind George's piece. Uh, but George, I appreciate you uh, coming here and and giving us some background and spreading some knowledge, spreading some some truth about <laughs> I don't know about that. how we need to be thinking about this. Good to be with you, Al, and I will hope to play some socially distant golf with you in the not too distant future. <laughs> with the flag stick in, absolutely. All right, thanks, George.